And welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Oh, that's uh, definitely some uh, some samurai uh, voice action going on. Very fitting for our film we're reviewing today, in a sense. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Once again, we had, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so schedules all over the place. We're recording on Sunday once again. Uh, I have a new uh, computer chair, which is wonderful, except for now when Gavin's looking at me, I'm kind of like Wilson from Home Improvement. He can just see my eyes <laughs> and the top of my hat, but I'm, I'm way more comfortable than I usually am. So we'll have to figure this out eventually where he can see my face and not be blocked by my mic and my little uh, soundproofing kit and so forth. Hi ho, podcaster. Hey, nice. Very good. What was it in Japan? I, I don't, we didn't get it. What? I got that show when I was in the States. I mean, maybe, yeah, it, for me, that show was uh, playing when I was in the States. Oh, I was hoping it'd be something like, Ohio, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio, toolman son. Hmm. Toolman son, yes. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so you've had a, uh, did you have a nice few days off? I did. I had a very nice few days off. Family was in town. My mother, our, our number one podcast listener was in town. Although I'm sure there are others. Uh, she has some competition now. In the she early does, days, she? she was definitely number one. She'll always be number one in our hearts. But she has some stiff competition in terms of people uh, listening all over the globe. You know, we've got loyal listeners in Australia, Europe, all over the States, a uh, few in Asia. So, yeah, but, you know, she'll always be number one. Mom's yeah. always number one. Well, but uh, yeah, so she was in town. We had a great time. We actually took a little, a little quick side road trip over to to the town of Las Vegas. Viva, and, uh, of Viva course, Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. I got a couple hours in, or about ninety minute sessions in. Uh, a ninety minute session with uh, Sifu Don Nayam, which is always uh, always fun and always painful the next day. Oh, for sure, for sure. When you're doing like hardcore traditional Southern Kung Fu and you haven't done it in a minute, you're gonna feel it i don't you know yeah. it's once again even for me like let's say i went and did uh more of a traditional type training like the one time i got to train with steve udon we were kind of doing more uh like pad work and he was showing me uh some of the stuff that i could apply like i, I really like some uh -huh. of like kind of the spinning back fist and yeah. downward strikes but you know that was kind of in my wheelhouse but like let's say if i was to do traditional like the actual hung foot right hung foot hung foot yeah the hung foot techniques and uh kind of calisthenic work and dynamic tension work oh yeah i'd feel it the next day oh uh, for sure and he was uh so so we start off with uh with a chest warm-up and an ab warm-up and it was interesting the sides of my rib cage and the sides of my i guess my lower abdomen were in pain for about three days it was a that, that good pain that we seek that we don't always get uh because uh, you know we're, we're usually doing the same routine the good was, pain not the taco bell pain Correct. In the the good, the good pain, not the Taco Bell pain. Yeah, and for uh, for our international listeners that don't know Taco Bell, I'm assuming most people know Taco Bell, but maybe not. Taco Bell is fast food. Uh, I, you can't even really call it Mexican food, right? It would be like fast food, American Mexican food. It, yeah, it's, it's culturally appropriated fast food. Yeah, and let's just say sometimes it doesn't sit very well. 
But then again, me, anytime I eat fast food now, because not to my own horn, I eat a pretty darn healthy diet, right? Like the last few days has been up in the air because it was the holidays. Once again, for uh, listeners outside the States, it's Thanksgiving, which is a big holiday for Americans and a big eating holiday. Talk about gluttony, right? Uh, But for me, for the most part, I eat a very healthy diet. And so anytime I, even on the weekends where I might have a cheat day or like, you know, a laxed weekend uh, diet, if I go to eat fast food a lot of the time, it just destroys me. So a few weeks back, uh, Jessica went to McDonald's for a charitable mm-hmm. thing. It was raising mm-hmm. money for a local uh, club. Actually, I believe it was the Asian club. And you had to go to this one particular McDonald's and like whatever whatever percentage of the profits went towards this club. So she right. comes back with chicken nuggets, quarter pounder with cheese, etc. So I had three chicken nuggets because I always <laughs> liked the McDonald's chicken nuggets, right? Three. And my stomach was so messed up like a couple hours later like going to bed I was just in, I was like oh I had to take Pepto-Bismol it was terrible so yeah uh unfortunately fast food doesn't really sit with me very well the, and uh this has been our nutrition corner from yeah, the Marshall's Mania podcast this is nutrition corner bit of advice McDonald's chicken nuggets probably aren't that much chicken <laughs> <laughs> or there there's some sort of uh you know hybrid chicken that you might see in a horror movie by the way we have two new sponsors taco bell and mcdonald's yeah thank you thank you very much remember taco tuesday anywho uh yeah so uh that's that's the nutrition corner uh we took a nice little couple day trip to tahoe which was wonderful so we were up there once again we planned to try to record up there but you had a lot going on we had a lot going on so at least we're getting our recording in that being said i'll let everyone know right now the following monday so it's going to be like december 5th we will Mm -hmm. not be able to release an episode because this weekend is comic-con which so far everything is almost going according to plan with stuff we've ordered we're having a bit of issues with the backdrop at the moment but i literally just got our table banner the stickers are arriving tomorrow Uh, i'm hoping all of our gear we're selling clothes wise should be arriving uh with the union designs in the next couple days so hopefully the banner situation gets resolved but otherwise we are going to be there we're going to be having a great time uh friday will be uh herman from the union designs and myself and are you going to be there friday or yeah you- i'm there i'm there friday saturday and sunday oh heck yeah i didn't know that yeah buddy so that's awesome and then uh jessica will be joining us on saturday and sunday as well she's oh, driving awesome. down friday night and yeah so uh well, there's going to be a lot of great guests. We're really excited. We hope anybody that's in the LA area or in driving distance comes and checks it out. I, I'd imagine maybe Saturday and Sunday will be the more like baller days, but uh, it should still be a lot of fun. Uh, hey, you know, I've driven to these kind of events much farther than probably some mm-hmm. people are thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't want to drive over there. But uh, yeah, I, I would suggest checking it out. It seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's our first time, so be easy on us because, for example, they're doing like contests of who has the best booth. <laughs> I, I'd imagine they're going to walk by ours and be like, eh, no. But hey, hopefully we make this a regular thing and then in the exactly. future, well, you know, we, we had ideas. We had ideas about cosplaying and stuff, but I just don't think we're ready for that yet. Well, it's, it's, it's one step at a time and it's us, you know, uh, joining, joining fellow fellow fans and fellow creators uh just sharing ideas so you know if people want to come by talk about a specific movie get our take we'll listen to your take give us your top five comfort films try to stump us with a quote please do so that'd be a lot of fun heck yeah yeah so please everyone come see us we're friendly guys uh i will have a big ridiculous mustache 
because uh, it'll be the end of November. So, you know, because the thing is, I'm like, oh, well, I'll shave it before I leave. But I'm like, no, the whole point is I have to be at the very end of November, completely clean shaven everywhere else and at least rock the mustache for a few days. So I figured, you know what? LA Comic Con, let's do this. So you'll, I'll be there with my big ridiculous mustache. Uh, Gavin will be there with his ridiculous good looks. And uh, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So we we know the days. What are the times for our audience? I believe, and that's funny you should say that because it's, I was looking that up. It's, I believe the actual like events start at 10 Mm -hmm. a.m. And I'm not sure, honestly, what time they go tell. It's like the hours are kind of funky yeah, when you kind try of to like wonky aren't they? yeah exactly so i think it's kind of show up at the hours you would normally show up to something like this but uh maybe I'll, i can share that we can share that on social media throughout the week once we know that exactly because i'm playing it like friday especially i have to get there like right on time i have to pick up our badges and stuff so uh yeah no it'll it'll okay. be a, a good good time uh let's see here so let's segue into martial arts movie news so just a couple hours ago i'm not sure if you saw in the twitter sphere uh Unfortunately, uh, genre filmmaker, director Albert Pien passed away. Pien, uh, Pien, Pien, I, I've never known how to say his last name, but uh, how do you pronounce We've talked about this before. How do you pronounce his last name? I, I, I've gone with Pien. Pien. Okay. Albert Pien, but, unfortunately, passed away. He had had a lot of health issues in recent years, but uh, a very, I would say, prolific filmmaker in the sense of what he was able to accomplish on such low budgets. I was reading an interesting quote by him where, you know, a ton of his films were set in a post-apocalyptic setting. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. so much that that's what he gravitated towards. It was just, that's what made it the easiest to shoot films on a limited budget, just because those kind of sets and accessories were easily accessible. You know, uh, they can afford them, but I mean, he had quite the interesting career. Obviously I'd say for martial arts fans, they probably remember best, uh, cyborg and nemesis, Mm -hmm. you know, and the kickboxer films, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Those would be, uh, but I mean, also he did uh, one of our favorites, Heat Seeker, with mm-hmm. uh, Keith Cook, Harabayashi, Gary Daniels. That's an all-time favorite of mine, and it's definitely got that it's, stamp of. Uh, I mean, in a sense, once again, we talk about auteur, and for me, and everyone's definition is different. For me, an auteur is when you have a certain style that's like instantly recognizable, where like someone can put it on, and be like, "Oh, this is an Albert Pien film, right?" Or, "Oh, this is like a Quentin Tarantino film." I mean, yes, his. Quentin Tarantino's films are more mainstream, so you kind of automatically know what they are. But just that ability to have a recognizable style, uh, a recognizable kind of uh, theme uh, or narrative, uh, certain character types, certain commentary. And I believe he definitely falls into that category where normally filmmakers of like kind of low budget genre films don't necessarily do that. You're, you're absolutely right. He has he had a distinct look to his films. Uh, the actions, the action always just popped. Uh, he knew he, you could you could rely on him for a top of the line straight to video film. And I, I'm really happy you mentioned Heat Seeker because I mean, you know, we all know uh, Kickboxer too. We all know Nemesis. We all know Cyborg. I think uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to see Heat Seeker, that that's one film. If you're trying to uh, Try to enjoy an Albert Pune film, uh, you know, this week, this weekend, uh, these coming days. Heat Seeker is a great film to get your hands on. Yeah, I'd love to see that one get a re-release, maybe somewhere like Vinegar Syndrome, uh, you know, release that one. I think that would be fantastic. Maybe if they're at LA Comic Con, be like, yo, Heat Seeker, let's do it. Uh, otherwise, martial arts movie news, uh, picked up a few good Blu-rays with uh, Black Friday deals, so... 
They'll be arriving today. Maybe I'll share those on social media. Uh, but also, hey, big news today, Bruce Lee's birthday. Happy 82nd birthday, Bruce Lee. It's so funny. My memories on Facebook pop up like for years, every year I did, you know, a big post about it. And then it, I guess not to say I did it before it was cool, but, you know, it's very mainstream now. A lot of people and I've, you know, I've 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 said my my piece. So I'll just reshare my memories from before. But I was watching uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, Bruce Lee documentaries earlier. So uh yeah, I mean, uh, I've got some other things I need to watch tonight, so probably won't watch, like, get to, unfortunately, watch any of his films all the way through. But happy birthday, Bruce. Uh, you will always be remembered, and thank you, because if not for you, probably most of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. Uh, completely, absolutely accurate and correct. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's segue into movie quotes. All right, so... I have two quotes for you. I can't decide which is the easy quote. Hit because me. Because I suspect they're both easy for you. Don't literally hit me, but hit me. Here it comes. Okay. This has nothing to do with winning. If those boys do their best and fail, I'll still be proud. But if they don't give it their all and I don't give them mine, then it's my failure and my disgrace. A team is not a team if you don't give a damn about one another. That would be uh, best of the best. And Indeed. That's, that's uh, James Earl Jones uh, in one of his most underrated roles, uh, playing Coach Frank, right? Frank, uh, I can't think of his last name, but... Frank Cuso. There we go. I'm what a Frank great last Cuso. name. Yeah, but so, his delivery <laughs> of the lines, like, yeah. Oh. And we we found a way both to. Well, I will say I butchered his voice more. Yeah, I, I appreciate your attempt. You were Thanks. Very I tried. You know, he has literally one of the most iconic voices of cinema. You know, doing the, like one of the, if not the most iconic voice in Darth Vader. But then also, obviously, the Lion King uh, is you know such a iconic role that he did. He's just wow. What a what a guy. And hey, we get him in uh, martial arts uh, cinema history because Best of the Best is a badass movie and uh, kind of a, a, not ahead of its time. It's 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 like a it's like a lost one that not enough people have watched or appreciated because I mean it's it's so well shot. It's got mm-hmm. it does have some fantastic martial arts. Now they did go that route. Unlike today's movie, we're going to talk about. They went the route of casting actors over martial artists, but luckily the you know opposing team slash. Uh, you know, Philip Ree on the American team, they give us enough superb martial arts skills that it, you know, makes up for uh, the actors that were cast over martial arts. And yes, we can play right. the hypothetical and be like who we should have cast at that time instead, but we still get a great film uh, out of it. So next quote, hit me up. Next quote, never put passion before principle, even if when you lose. Ah, so, uh, Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, wait. I like, I, I know it's Karate Kid, but uh, no, wait, hold on. It's not number one. It's uh, no, never put passion before principle. Even if you win, you lose. Uh, why is it? It's like, so it's uh, Karate Kid 2. There you go. There we go. Thank you. It's like, I knew it was Karate Kid. I knew it was Miyagi. It took me a second. I have a databank of like useless karate kid trivia so i had to you know sort through it it's sunday and i kind of i don't fast on sundays but i kind of casually graze until dinner which will usually Mm -hmm. be more of a cheat meal or for example the last few days as i mentioned would was a lot of eating so i've kind of slightly detoxing today so my brain's not at full capacity well well, you know i i 
the, the reason behind these quotes, you know, each week I've been trying to get the quotes to relate somehow is, you know, similarly to it being Bruce Lee's birthday and sort of like the grandmaster of martial arts cinema, if you will, uh, at least in my perspective. Uh, and then also the film we're about to discuss, you know, it, it really is uh, anchored in the Bushido way. Uh, so I just felt like I wanted to pull some great master quotes from cinema. And of course, the master of quotes got them both. Yes. You, <laughs> well, that's, that's very kind of you. But uh, yeah, I think that's a great segue uh, because today we are talking about the 2007, and uh, forgive me if I butcher names, Shunuchi Naga, uh, Nagas, Nagaski directed uh, martial arts film Black Belt, a.k.a. Kurobi, which is just Black Belt in Japanese. The, yeah, Kurobi. Kurobi. And the funny part is, so, I didn't see this film till a few months ago, this summer. Mm-hmm. And once again, kind of like our last one, Under the Gun, it was one of those ones where I listened to bad advice. Bad advice from great people in this case, people I actually knew. So, long story short, uh, I've talked about it many times on the podcast, uh, when uh, you know, I, I grew up doing martial arts. I started when I was like seven years old. Did it all the way up until high school, like the first year of high school to the second year, and then I, I was in a really intensive academic program. I didn't have time. There wasn't a whole lot of great martial arts schools where I was anyway. So I took off a couple of years in college. I got hardcore back into it, and I was doing Shorinji Kempo. So you know, uh, Japanese martial arts style was inspired by Sunny Chiba. Uh, we had a great club at our university and it, it's very strict rules about who can open up a Shurinji Kempo uh, dojo. Uh, it's, it's very monitored, it's very regulated, which helps the style, you know, not get watered down in a sense. You can't even charge money. Uh, it all like, you know, your, your membership fees or dues go directly back to the headquarters and it was ridiculously cheap like what I paid. People are like, oh, they charge money, what a racket. No, it's like re- very reasonable for the quality of instruction that you get. But we were one of like the very few, if not like only satellite branches at UC Santa Cruz. We got an official like exemption because our instructor uh, Ruta Saka uh, so I guess he'd be like a senpai he was already I think a third degree black belt by that point uh, and he was a student at UC Santa Cruz and he was a a member of the uh, dojo in San Jose uh, which was run under Hirayama Sensei uh, who's seventh on and stuff. And it was a giant, uh, you know, uh, location, lots of members. But when he went to UC Santa Cruz, they gave official permission for us to be like a satellite branch of the San Jose, uh, school. So it was really cool. So we did, we had classes twice a week on the campus at UC Santa Cruz, uh, because the martial arts room was really hard to book. So we got one day a week in the martial arts room on Sunday afternoons. I remember cause in college, let's just say I went out drinking a few Saturday nights and Sunday and the ghee and like, if it was hot, it would get stuffy. And then one night a week was at the racquetball courts. Um, uh, the other two nights uh, or a week would be at the San Jose dojo that we'd carpool to. So I always did, I always made sure and did three classes a week. So I would typically do the two uh, on UC Santa Cruz campus and then I'd make it out to San Jose once a week. Anywho, the reason I bring this up is this film came out when I was training with uh, this group of martial artists. So uh, at the actual dojo in San Jose, it was like 90% Japanese uh, students, you know, and it was, it was a cultural thing too. So a lot of uh, kids and teenagers, but also a lot of adults. Uh, but our our UC Santa Cruz branch was very diverse. You know, we had uh, 
multiple Caucasian members like myself. We had some Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Vietnamese Americans, all of it was really cool. Really great group of uh, people we used to hang out outside of training. It's like we had this great camaraderie. Uh, we would do like Shirinji Kempo parties or like sushi nights. Uh, it, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I have a lot of great memories with all of them and I miss them dearly. Uh, and some listen to the podcast. So if you're listening, thank you uh, for being loyal listeners. Uh, but yeah, I, I would love to do a reunion with them. But the reason I bring this all up and I'm going off on a tangent is uh, the fact that somebody had seen the film when it came out that t- at that time. And they told me, oh, you're not going to like it. It's boring. And there's like not that much martial arts in it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because especially at that time, you know, I was I was always talking about Kung Fu movies, Hong Kong style action, this or that. And I literally just took their word for it. Uh, whoever told me that. And why wouldn't you? I mean, we, you know, that this is just like people who listen to our podcast and the podcast we listen to, you know, so many people rely on, on the words of friends and people they, they, they respect or, or know them, you know, like our friends might know us and say, Hey, I don't think you'll like this one or what have you. And, you know, we, we, our time is limited. So it makes sense that you would skip it when it came out. Yeah. So, I mean that, and that's that pretty much, uh, and so come this summer, uh, you know, I was still working at Anytime Fitness. I was still up in the mountains and I had these hour lunch breaks and there was like nothing to do. And I would go into the back like room. I had a back little in my office. We had a back storage room, no windows or anything, but I just go back there, eat my lunch, turn off the lights and watch movies on my laptop because it was, you know, like, and I was like, okay, so I'll just watch stuff I need to catch up on. So this one was on Tubi at that time. And I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I never watched this. I'll give it a go. And I... I watch it and I'm literally like, I want to build a time machine to go back in time and stop that person from saying what they said. And because, wow, this, this film is, and this is a bold statement, but how about this? I'll say this of the 21st century. It's maybe the best martial arts film you haven't seen. And I, I'm saying this from like a, really uh, to define a martial arts film. This film captures the spirit. So maybe the better way to put it is kind of what you hinted at before. It's one uh, the best Bushido film of the 21st century the, and definitely like one of the best ever in the sense of just, th- this is a real film. This is like, it's, it's like an art house film. And the thing yes. is most martial arts films that try to be like an art house film fail miserably because they mm-hmm. don't know what they're doing and they don't actually have the technical skill involved. This is this is truly an art house, independent, beautifully shot film that just happens to also be a martial arts film. It, it perfectly put. It, it's it is like the like the film we discussed in our last issue uh, episode, Under the Gun. It is a it's like a love story. Like that was a love story to straight to video, uh, a love letter to straight to video films. This is a love letter to I would say the Code of Bushido and to martial art films in its purest sense. Uh, it has, it has a great feel to it. Uh, it in many ways feels like an early, uh, like the early Kurosawa film, Sanshiro Sugata, the, the judo film. It's just shot to cat. It's shot to honor the martial arts, but also not shot in a way just to shoot fight sequences. There are long pauses in particular fight sequences while, uh, while maybe two people who are testing each other decide if they're going to continue or not. Uh, it just, it's just really well, uh, well done. And it really captures the spirit of, of what we've talked about so often and what 
you know, a lot of books on martial arts and uh, the samurai code, like uh, the Bushido, the books on Bushido that, you know, some of us might find in bookstores around, around the country, around the world. This, this, this film captures that, uh, the essence, this film captures the essence of the great quotes that we see in films. Um, it's, so with that, I'm going to yield the floor back to you for a second because it's just it's really hard to articulate just how successfully how successful this film is in capturing without rubbing your face in it. Especially because they cast they did the opposite of what like every filmmaker has said. Uh, you know, they cast martial artists over actors. So I am going to go out on a limb here and say that it's the finest display of authentic karate ever on screen. And this is coming from a guy who, as I said, I, you know, I grew up like Sonny Chiba is a huge influence for me, like almost as big as Bruce Lee and maybe bigger in the terms of like the martial arts route I took. Uh, but in Sonny Chiba, you know, had multiple rankings, uh, you know, under Masoyama himself, but his style was much more kind of a cinematic, like, you know, the Japanese action club that had a distinct look and style that, you know, they would obviously throw in real authentic martial arts films, but, or excuse me, moves, but also make it a little more for the camera. This one, so they cast uh, the, the, our principal trio of characters are all real life martial artists uh, and karate experts or masters. Now, the only one we can't really find much information on would be kind of the uh, the third wheel, in a sense, uh, who's not one of the main two protagonists. But supposedly that actor, uh, Yuji Suzuki, who plays Choi, uh, is a Kyokushin black belt in real life, supposedly. Uh, so, and, and it's very possible, you have to think about it, even if maybe he was an actor first, that obviously a lot of actors are going to have ranks in karate, or maybe more so in Japan, just because culturally it could have been just something they grew up doing. I don't know. That's the only one I can't speak of. The other two, our main two principal actors slash characters, I can definitely speak to because they have a very uh, prevalent presence on YouTube now. There's actually a whole channel called Karobi World that I'll go down these rabbit holes and just watch a ton of their videos. They do Japanese martial arts stuff, like they have a couple of... Uh, Chinese martial arts masters that are Japanese and based in Japan and they'll profile them. But so for our, so it's, it's interesting. Obviously one is more antagonistic, but they are definitely both protagonists to the story. But we have uh, Tatsuya Naka as Taikon, who is kind of the more antagonistic one, who in real life, seventh on Shotokan uh, black belt. And, and not only that, I guess at this point, he's maybe considered one of the four most experts in Shotokan in the world. He's ranked multiple times in uh, world championships in Kumite, including winning the JKA All Japan Kumite in 1992. So, I mean, that's a that's a big deal, right? He, like, you know, won the, the world championship in the Kumite. And we're talking like Kumite, not Frank Duke's you know, secret underground martial arts tournament kumite. We're talking just the the word kumite, which really just means sparring, correct? Yes, it's like uh, hands meeting. So yes. yeah, sparring. So like, and that's kind of like what you, depending whether it's point karate or like full contact point karate, something along those lines. So it'd be like Shotokan style. Then our other uh, principal uh, actor, the character of Giru, played by Akihito Yagi, is a real life gojoru karate uh, expert. So uh, each one of our trio all have a very distinct different style, uh, even though uh, they all learn under the same master in the film. But it, it, it makes sense and it blends beautifully. And uh, some of my favorite bits are even when they're just training or doing their katas, you see how incredible their technique is. And there's no way actors that didn't have the training could do this. Now, 
we, we talk about it all the times. 8711 does this fantastic job now of taking actors, training them for six months to a year, making them look good on screen. They do fantastic. Charlize Theron in, Blonde, uh, in Atomic Blonde, uh, Keanu Reeves in the John Wick series. They look totally believable. They look totally awesome. They look totally badass. But even still, sometimes even when they take some of these other actors, or like Chris Hemsworth did a great job in Extraction, I mean, you could still see the slight bits of, okay, they're obviously not a real martial artist, or okay, they're not a real fighter, but there's no way you could have faked how good the karate on display here is. Like, even the positioning of their hands when they block, when you see the alignment of their fingers, and, you know, the the space between, and the structuring of their body and the body mechanics that come with their movements and you know the way they key eye the way they strike it's just like these are guys that have been doing it their whole lives who just also happen to give us fantastic performances now i think a lot of that needs to be credited to our director uh uh shunichi nagaski uh because nagasaki right nagasaki oh maybe i missed an a that's why this name's so hard to pronounce i wrote it wrong nagasaki makes more sense uh he brought out these performances out of them and it's incredible uh what he got it's it i think speaking speaking to the director the care that they took with setting up the shots the editing clearly the choreography must they must have extended that time and care that to the acting component as well because everything the fights don't just come across as authentic because you know they're they're done by true practitioners. The acting behind behind each scene and within each scene just I, they just resonate. It it has that emotional component that we are the I guess hearkening back to Bruce Lee the the uh, emotional content. Yeah. This film has the emotional content that we're seeking. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent agree. So I, I guess we should real quick kind of get into the uh, premise of the film. So it's set in uh, obviously like a pre-World War II era Manchuria uh, where, you know, Japan, it was like a kind of like a puppet state. You know, uh, Manchuria it was like the border of China, uh, like China, Mongolia, uh, Korea and Japan, like controlled a chunk of it. It's we're, we're like we can go into a history lesson, but obviously it's not my expertise, but it was it was an area that it's no longer in existence technically by uh, like boundary and so forth. Like Manchuria doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but at that time it was, you know, Chinese, uh, it was a Japanese controlled space of land that had, you know, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, uh, I believe Mongolian, Russian, et cetera, et cetera. So pretty much there's a dojo there that's run by a master and he has three uh, pupils. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Giru, played by Akihito Yagi, Taikan, played by Tatsuya Naka, and then Choi, played by Yuji Suzuki. Uh, once again, as they all have their three distinct styles, uh, they are pretty much challenged by the military, even though they have a, a, like a notice from the emperor that allows them to operate their dojo and train there. The, the military doesn't give a crap. They challenge them. And so uh, that's our first we've already seen them train a bit which is beautiful we see them like hitting the makiwara board and just you know doing their katas and so forth but uh pretty much uh so taikon uh decides to you know fight first and he shows his style which is very much the aggressor he Mm -hmm. kills his opponent uh has no shame in it even though his master is telling him to be like defensive so after he kind of disobeys the master in a sense we get our next main character giru uh who is does only blocks and defeats his opponent by only blocking his opponent's attacks. Uh, 
and so we see they're two completely different styles. Unfortunately, Choi is uh, sliced by the Japanese general, and so he's out of commission for the rest of the movie. We don't really get to see him do anything. But from that point, uh, their master dies, and uh, they are then, uh, the Japanese military comes back and decides, you know what, you guys are good, we're going to force you to be our instructors. Well, uh, Tycon embraces this role because he embraces going out and challenging other instructors and becoming better for it. It's not a even like a pride or ego thing. It's more him just wanting to be the best he can be at karate. Whereas uh, Giru is the opposite. Like he tries to listen to his uh, teacher's, uh, you know, wisdom and rules and be like only defensive. Karate should not be used offensive. You should not punch or kick your opponent, uh, which is very kind of contradictory when you think about it to the way they train. So we have two extremes. We have Taikon who's going completely against his teacher's lessons in a sense, and Giru who is following them to a T, even under the circumstances where he shouldn't be. And so their journeys get separated. Uh, Taikon goes the route of working for the military and pretty much just challenging and beating all the other masters in the area. Whereas Giru kind of becomes a recluse in a sense and, uh, lives the life of a farmer, but you know, his, his skills, he has to still call upon his skills, but he's not willing to. It's like it, once again, so we have the yin and the yang, uh, analogy. Almost we have, uh, Taikon who is far too young. And then we have Giru who's far too yin and, there's a lot of symbolism throughout the film uh, that embraces this idea. There's a, a lot of uh, kind of visual cues uh, that we get, like, you know, the thematic element of the balloon that pops up, the red balloon. Uh, and there's so much more to the story that we could go into, obviously, and everything's just done so well but that's like the basic premise which obviously leads to our ending showdown between the two apprentices because one of the main things is before their master dies he hands them his karobi his black belt and uh, his successor will get the black belt and he leaves it in the responsibility of Choi to pick the successor and so you know there's the Taikon has the mindset of I've defeated everybody else the black belt should be mine mm-hmm. uh, but then at the end of the day, he knows that he can't get the black belt until he beats Giru, uh, which leads to our ending showdown. Spoiler alert. But yeah, so that's the basic rundown of the plot. It, it what's, what's great, uh, what I really appreciate about the rundown of the plot is that it is tied to the fight sequences that occur. Yes. And the fight sequences are essentially just to rephrase what I just said, a part of the storyline, the fights are the dialogue. The fights are the character development. The Each sequence is, it develops the story even further. And that's why when AJ is telling, you know, giving us the rundown, he's not just saying a uh, master passes away before he does. He says one of his three students has to be the new master. It's the stories, the stories and their characters and their styles are all interlaced in the in the full arc of the story yeah and there, there's lots of subplots like there's obviously an evil japanese general uh who's trying to start like pretty much a prostitution ring and you know giru trying to save the women and then because at the end of the day you realize taikon isn't like an evil person right he literally has he's just kind of unfortunately a one-track mind in how he approaches karate whereas giru equally he even multiple times says karate is my life it's all i have uh but it takes both of them to kind of realize in the end 
how they they need to embrace more of the other side's approach right. to karate. Like literally the dying words, uh, spoiler alert, sorry, dying words of Taikon is he realizes, oh, what, you know, Giru had right. And Giru eventually has to physically fight back against Taikon and use his offense. Uh, and right. yeah, it's like you can't have one extreme or the other. Or it's like, oh, you know, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. That stupid quote you see. Well, no, I shouldn't say stupid, but uh, overused quote you see pop up on social media. But at the same time, what if you're a warrior in a garden that gets attacked and you're not allowed to and you're not willing to utilize your warrior skills? Yeah, it, it, it's really it's um, the, the the script itself is, is essentially very Shakespearean. I mean, it, it kind of is is in line with like I think King Lear, which Kurosawa adapted to Ron. So the, where you have essentially three entities uh, stemming from the master and how if they were together, they're stronger. But of course, they have to travel their own paths. So, but at the end, they. They, even though only one survives, they realize, or one of the two strongest survives, we realize that uh, that the, he will only survive by embracing both ways. Yes, uh, which I think, and I've talked about this, in, and I've had in my own life. I think everybody. That's the whole point of yin and yang, right? That's the balance. Everybody needs balance in their life. And even if you are more of an aggressive person in life, you still have to have that softer side. Same thing if you're like a very soft, calm, demeanor type person, you need to embrace a little bit of the harder uh, style of life because you can't be one extreme always. You you have to have some balance. And this film uh, does a great job of displaying that. And, uh, you know, the, there are two different paths, how eventually they merge to kind of create that full... Uh, style or approach to uh, karate in this sense. Now, from a technical standpoint, this movie, uh, movie we've touched on some things. The the reason why I said before it's kind of like an art house in a sense of it's it's very it's amazing how intense it can be while being so calm. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with initially, it kind of made me think of like dogma 95, like filmmaking, like the avant-garde style. Uh, now obviously it goes completely against a lot of the rules. And for the people that don't know, this was a style of filmmaking that was in the nineties that had a lot of set rules and regulations you had to follow in order to be considered. It was very, very like, once again, avant-garde art house style, you know, you couldn't use any sort of, uh, non, uh, uh, Diegesis, uh, no, no sound that didn't occur within the actual film itself. Like, so for example, there's no wall to wall score. It had to be all f- uh, music within the diegesis. Uh, like, so what's the, the characters are dealing with right there. Uh, you know, you couldn't do any sort of lighting. It all had to be handheld. Now, this film obviously doesn't do all of that, but at the same time, we get these amazing, like the lighting in the film is pretty much very naturalistic. Now, uh, and like, for example, there's even one fight scene that's at night where it's it's very dark and you actually, you know, you, some of the action, it's it's you have to really concentrate to see. But once again, it gives that very uh, organic feel to it. Right. And a lot of like the the challenge sequences in dojos, you see the light shining through and anybody that's trained in like a traditional Japanese training hall, like uh, for Shrinji Kempo in San Jose, it was at an actual like Buddhist hall for us. So it was very that those hardwood floors and, you know, it, the, the light shining in there. It's it's very uh, natural and beautiful. And especially because we have real karate practitioners displaying the action. It, it just it, comes across as so captivating. Yeah, you, you can you can feel um, 
you can feel the film. You definitely can feel the hardwood floors. You can feel the, the, the wood pillars. You can even feel their gi, the uniforms. It's very, uh, it feels like a very tactile film. And I think it is because of the lighting, uh, the filmmaking style, you the, know, the setting, flesh, the, the forest setting, the, setting yeah. and everything is just so like really adds to almost that like kind of poetic feel to everything. It's, it's like, uh, it's like a fantasy that's so, that's based in reality though, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you know, it, it does, it, it does make sense. It just, it, the film feels alive. Uh, it also feels historical. Uh, you know, obviously it's shot in the past, but it, it's, it, there's, there's something really special. And I think when you, na- you nailed it, the, the, you hit the nail on the head when you said essentially the film, uh, it's like the best martial arts film or the best Bushido film, best karate film that you haven't seen uh, for so many reasons. And one, one of the key reasons is this, it feels lived in and yet at times dangerous. You're, you're there with them. Yes. And when it comes to the actual fight scenes, we have some extended ones, but it, it almost feels like, yes, they're obviously fight scenes for a movie, but they also feel like kind of very realistic. Like this is what maybe two karate experts when fighting each other, this is what they would do. And that, uh, like at that time, you know, without having exposure to certain things, the outside world, obviously martial arts has evolved tremendously. We all know since 1993, UFC one, uh, we have this melding of all these different styles. Remember at that time, so many uh, traditional martial arts styles, you know, still didn't have the exposure of the outside world. And so it's, it's very realistic that maybe that's what fights at this time would look like. Cause sometimes they end with like one strike, but you, you see the authenticity of their moves and like how there's so often like the, Oh man, the, the junguri or like the snap kick, the front kick, like when they throw them to the sternum, like you feel that when they throw those strikes to the like punches, once again, there's a lot of attacking to the body, uh, which just comes off very well. But even like some of the head kicks that they show in slow motion, yes. like the Mawashigiri, that the one that he finishes the, the one master with, you know what I'm talking about, but like yeah. just so authentic when you see them. That, and once again, as I said, it's the, the little nuances that only a true master of karate would get, like the positioning of their feet with the toes pulled back, ball of foot, the, the key eye, the explosiveness, the return, the structure, the, the way they block. It's just, everything is just so uh, incredible to watch. It's, and it's, if you didn't have true masters doing it, it wouldn't have worked. It, it's the the accuracy with which we see the the acts transpiring, and also the camera angles, like yes. the the sequence where uh, where one of our stars is taking on um, the army, and there are each one soldier at a time with swords, and the way he defends himself, uh, it's just fantastic. Like that one, that one like sternum kick you see the contact because of where it's made and you you have to believe that they are actually with the pace and the power that they're launching and making they ha- they are making contact that's a fact whether the people are padded or not i don't know or how hard they're making contact i don't know but it it has that authenticity that you would walk away from uh from a Samo Hung film. You see the contact, you feel the contact because of the way it's shot, the way it's edited, and because of the practitioners. Right. And you, just like with the Hong Kong ones, we suspend disbelief and watch them throw a million attacks and block, 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 and hit. And we we are totally engaged and we believe it and we enjoy it. Just like this is the opposite. Single one shots and then a person's finished. You believe it because 
from a technical standpoint, like you said, how they capture it, how they film it, but also then from the technical standpoint of the martial arts, we see how good their technique is. And it's like, ooh, you know, like, oh, you feel some of the shots just, you know, the the execution of their moves. Uh, and the, the, the brilliant part is most of the time, and obviously most of the action is handled by uh, uh, Tatsuya Naka, so our Taikan character, right? The real life Shotokan. Uh, expert because he's once again the aggressor you know uh, really we only get to see Giru do defensive stuff until the finale but then once we do finally get to see him do uh, like when he finally decides to strike back against Taikan and he does that kind of like twisted karate style punch like right in the the gut you're like ooh and then even you know Taikan is like embraces it like yes that is the karate spirit and then you know we get to actually see them fight uh it's a treat, right? It's like we're teased the whole time. Like we know how good Giru is. He just will not fight back, even though in this case he should, because he's not willing to embrace his own path or own journey. He's so devoted to his sensei, which is good. But at the same time, you have to discover your own uh, way of doing things. Right. And uh, it's, it's just a great payoff we get for, you know, patiently waiting this whole time to see Giru kick some butt for lack of a better term. Right. And, uh, you know, before we move on or before I forget, I definitely want to give some, um, I guess, some love over to the writer, uh, Joji Ida. Uh, I just think that the script, it's it's simple in places, but it's clean yes. and tight, but focuses in on the character development, which starts from minute one through minute uh like I want to say 90, 91, 92. So where, where, wherever the film cuts off, but that the, the character development is present the entire time of the film. So definitely some, some props to Joji Ida for that. Agreed. And I think this is one thing also, like some of the movies we review, even if it's your first time, you could put them on in the background, enjoy them, you know, or watch it with a group. This is definitely one where you need to sit, watch, Put away your phone, not be like, okay, I'm going to watch like 20 minutes of it, blah, 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 you know, which we're all guilty of doing in this day and age. You know, uh, we live in a world where everything is in a sense like so fragmented, right? Like we constantly have to be checking our emails and this and that. But this is the kind of movie where you need to set aside the time. Like you said, it's not very long, 90 minutes, whatever, you know, get into your best movie viewing uh, situation at home, wherever that is, lights off, you know, get your popcorn ready, get your comfy chair, have, you know, everything perfect, make sure there's no distractions and just sit and watch this all the way through because it's such a treat. Uh, And I'm saying that I'd even get to do that this viewing, uh, which, you know, is very like it it annoys me uh, because I, I wish I could. Uh, but in order to finish viewing this before doing it this weekend, I had to kind of break it up. But I definitely suggest that. And I'm going to this is one of those ones where I can watch like over and over again just because there's something new I appreciate each time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like even this viewing uh, for this episode, there's a lot more of the symbolism I caught. Right. Like some of the the hidden context, you know, even the, the theme with the balloon. And that's another like great part is the lack of a, a musical score. We only get it certain bits and pieces of it. It pops up and it's brilliantly used. And then that's it. It's not a constant. It could have very well been like, for example, the last samurai, one of my all time favorite movies. I love the score by Hans Zimmer. Right. And it's used throughout. It's brilliant. It's incredible. It's inspiring. This film goes that opposite approach and really doesn't use that much musical score. It's, we have long moments and bits of silence where it's you know the action on screen is providing all the audio uh like uh sensory 
yes. that we need. Yeah, it, it's even in the even in the sequence uh, where where he's facing off, I think with the with the general uh, with the in the sword sequence in the final sword sequence where it's uh, karate versus sword. There's there are moments of silence, not only in the soundtrack but in the action where there's where there's just built. Where as an audience member, I'm feeling the tension build before he decides to pick up the sword yet again to attack and get thwarted yet again. It's just so uh, the silence of this film gives you time to be sucked in and you might not realize you're getting as sucked in as you are and in a very positive way. And I think it's, you know. I think that's what we were also discussing earlier about how we get pulled into this film. It is a lot of it is through the silence and it's pretty daring to be silent. I mean, uh, you know, one of my favorite films is once upon a time in the West and that opens with an extended silent sequence. Well, the sounds of the, of the train station, but no soundtrack. And it's a film with a great soundtrack. It's it's literally one of the most iconic scores of all time. Yes. But it opens up without without yes. just relying on the the natural sounds, which in a way I guess is somewhat dogma uh, in hindsight. But just going back to Black Belt, it's it's this allowing the silence to not be, to for the filmmakers not to be afraid of the silence, and that's how we as an audience get pulled in. And that's that's what AJ is talking about, where you really can't just sit down and watch this movie in bits and pieces, which of course I'm guilty of doing this week as well, uh, just to get you know, reminded of the, of the film and areas we want to talk about, but it's, it's one of those films where you sit down and watch. And, you know, honestly, at some points you might even be standing. Yes. And, and watching. And so obviously, once again, we keep talking about the, the dogma uh, filmmaking style. So one thing it does that you wouldn't be allowed to do is it switches to black and white uh, during the finale. But I think once again, that's like a bit, and maybe I'm just reading too much into it. First time watching, I'm like, okay, it's just a stylistic choice. No, it's, I, I think it's also very symbolic of, Black and white, yin and yang, hard and soft, good and evil. Uh, and I think that's the whole reason it's supposed to symbolize it is we have these two merging together. And at the end, when their fight is over and they both finally come to the realization, it switches back to color. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. Spot on. And I mean, it's not in your like like we said before, it's not in your face. It just it these things happen in this film and you get pulled in. And that's what makes it an art house film. Yes. And the the the, the fights and choreography, some of them are just such clean karate techniques and in the the finale we get that but we also just get a full-out brawl because these guys you know it's almost like they're counteracting each other so we get a lot more messiness in it uh and they're also exhausted towards the end they're like heavily breathing and it's a lot of super hard hits like i mean they're selling it like you said sometimes it's like i don't know if they are hitting each other for real but they have to be in some sense because you're really believing it and uh, the execution of their techniques, even when it's not as clean, even in like the quote unquote, like sloppy moments or more aggressive, like, or like rough and tumbles, I like to say, it still comes off as authentic and uh, brilliant in a sense. Absolutely. You're correct. So uh, any closing thoughts on this absolutely incredible film that we've discussed today? You know, I'm like you, I didn't see it until the summer and it was after you texted me about the film. I'm really happy you did. Really happy we got around to reviewing it because we talked about doing this a couple of times, but other things were were on our radar. This is this is a timeless film. 2007 feels like it could have been made two years ago. Feels like it could have been made, you know, maybe in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Just it just it could fit in anywhere. And it's a it's a film if you haven't seen it, 
uh, I envy you because you get the opportunity to sit down and watch this, watch it and, and, and grow with these characters. I'm going to put it better myself. So, uh, now I guess it'd be our, uh, final segment, uh, our language corner. So did you prepare anything for us today? Because it is a Japanese film. I did. Okay. And I do. Okay. But you know, I get, I always get a little, so full disclosure, I always get a little nervous about okay. these things because I feel like Japanese language and Japanese culture, it's not a moving target. It's, it's a discovery. Oh, and as you discover, there's always more to discover. Okay. So sometimes when I, uh, when I come up with something, it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg and there's more to, more to be revealed. So with that said, I'm going to go with something easy and say, uh, bear with me. Okay. We did Otsukare Samadeshita the last time. Mm-hmm. This time, Osewa ni narimashita. So that's oh, a long... Oh, you have to break that down for me. It's a yeah, little yeah. long. So it's Osewa, Osewa ni, ni narimashita. Narimashita. So that's... I've learned a lot. I'm obligated to thank you very much for your service. Uh, that's what that, that's what it would roughly mean. Ah. So at the end, is this a traditional thing within like martial arts circles? I think it's, a, it's definitely traditional. Okay. Uh, it's basically like a thank you for everything. Excellent. So usually like if you're meeting your teacher or your, uh, at the end of the year, you might say this, or after a big tournament, you might say this from the martial arts perspective. If, uh, if I'm meeting someone who's helped my sister or my sisters or my mother's meeting, like one of my teachers, this is something they would say, or they would say my brother, you know, was so it's basically a gracious thank you. And like a truly humble and, and, uh, deep thank you for someone who's really touched you, which is usually the role of a master. So again, Osewa ni narimashita. I'll break it down. Osewa. Osewa. Ni. Ni. Narimashita. Narimashita. There you go. Osewa ni narimashita. That's good. Thank you. Then that's the perfect one. Very, uh, it fits with the theme today. So uh, thank you for uh, your instruction. Once again, we probably will not be back next week because we're doing LA Comic Con this weekend when unfortunately we won't have time to record, uh, even though we're going to be together in person. It's so funny. We haven't recorded together in person since 2020. Even, I think since even like though we've the seen third each other. episode. Yeah. And we, and we recorded three episodes like within two days time. Right. Well, no, no. We did the first, remember we, recur- we recorded a bunch together. Then we were on lockdown for like three months. Then we recorded one in your apartment, like social distanced, like yelling oh. in to the mic like we had it on your table and like we didn't nobody knew what they were doing yet at yeah, that point got, we're like uh, okay uh, and it was your old right. apartment so you guys, you guys came by and yep. uh, jessica went to the beach and yep. then you and i recorded that's right and then we did we did uh, the one with uh sensei keith uh hirabayashi in person but yeah we've had we've only like done five in person and this is what episode 50 like 52 now i 52. think so yeah we realized we missed episode 50 so we'll do something big maybe for 75 or 100 but anywho yeah this weekend even though we're going to be together we probably won't have time to record we're going to be recording at the event and then you know we'll put together an episode but either which yeah. way 
We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks' time, unless a miracle happens and we get one recorded. But otherwise, uh, any final notes? Uh, Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, my friend. Okay, I will be seeing you in a few days. Sounds great. Adios, amigo.